Uh, one thing I want to say is it's really easy to look back at your training. Training peaks makes it really easy to <laughs> consistently look back at peaks that you had before um, you took this time off. And as you get into training, um, you know, fatigue management is super important because you're going to see all this progress quickly and then you're going to have all this fatigue and you're not going to be hitting numbers like you want. And you're going to be like, oh, well, you know, eight months ago I was here and like I was hitting this power at this heart rate. And like, why can't I do that right now? Like I should be able to do that right now. And saying those things is like one of the worst things you can do. Like I should, I should be here. You can't do any of that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Matchbox Podcast powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Sabin, and today, Caitlin and I are getting into climbing heavy zone two rides, how to feel for long gravel racing, and steps to overcoming training setbacks. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. With the race season in full swing, it's time to start dialing in your race day nutrition, and Flow has everything you need. I just got my latest shipment of Flow in yesterday, and it came in just in time as I was almost out of all of my nutrition. Luckily, our friends at Flow are on their game, and they had my order shipped out ASAP. So head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code IgnitionPodcast for 10% off your next order. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions for the show, send those to infoignitioncoachcode.com with email titled The Matchbox Podcast, or head over to Instagram and send us a direct message. All right, let's get into it. So just Kate and I in the studio today. Kate's tuning in from her first van podcast recording. Yep. Uh, hopefully I stay with you through the whole thing. Um, I guess we'll find out. Service seems pretty good so far. So Yeah, it's killing this. it so far. Yep. Okay. So this first question we've got, this one comes in from Josh. Uh, Josh has two questions. We're going to answer question number two today, and we'll save the first question for another day. Uh, so his question is, how much climbing should you include in zone two rides? Speaking to the lactate threshold one and such, my longer gravel rides tend to have several punchy climbs where it is tough to keep my heart rate under that threshold. It's really tough to cut out the climbing from some of my routes that I do. Cool. Um, if he's only, yeah, I'm happy that he's using some sort of metric. If he wasn't using any, um, it would be, and you were just going on perceived exertion, that would be pretty hard. Um, but I guess, you know, the element of specificity comes into it. So if he's training for an event where there's a lot of climbing, you know, you want to simulate that in your training rides, but ultimately the goal of an endurance ride, a pure zone two ride is to stay right, right at, um, that lactate threshold. So, um, you want to produce and buffer as much lactate or you want to buffer as much lactate as you're producing. Um, so that's a really strict place to adhere to. Um, and if you can do that, it just comes down to what you're able to do. If you're able to hold that, that ceiling, um, no matter the undulating terrain, then great. Um, but if you find that it's hard for you, then you should probably, you know, I don't want to stick you on the trainer, but, um, if you want to get the most bang for your buck and it, you know, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, um, so I think it's interesting that Josh here says he has a hard time 
keeping his heart rate below that lactate turn point one as, as well. You know, so this would kind of fall somewhere um, unless you've done like lab testing and know exactly where that LT one is. Um, you know, it's going to fall somewhere in the like high zone two, low zone three range, uh, especially when you're looking at heart rate numbers. Um, and it's interesting that he says his heart rate, he has a hard time keeping his heart rate below that, that threshold on the climbs. Um, cause typically like what I would say is like, as long as you can keep your heart rate in the zone, even if your power spikes a little bit, like maybe it's not that big of an issue. Like it's probably not coming at a huge detriment to your zone two ride, but if you can't keep your heart rate in that zone, then I would say you got to do something to, to alter your ability to climb on those, those shorter, punchier climbs. Um, I'm guessing he, you know, because the fact that he says he can't avoid those, uh, he doesn't say where he lives, but I'm guessing he lives somewhere where it's just a lot of rolling terrain, like maybe in the Midwest or um, maybe somewhere in the South, uh, you know, where there's not like long gradual climbs. It's just kind of these short Mm -hmm. one to two minute, three minute long kind of steeper climbs. So, I mean... Yeah, my thought was maybe he's, he's trying to do these on a mountain bike, which can be really difficult. Mm. Oh, you mean you think like you're thinking like on a trail even? Yeah, potentially. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, I mean, zone two rides on a mountain bike can be tough. Um, again, like I tell my athletes, you know, focus on heart rate. If you're going out for a mountain bike ride and you're doing zone two ride, like focus on keeping your heart rate below that, that you know, basically top end of zone two, you know, kind of conservatively. Um, but almost always, like when they go off for those those zone two trail rides, their heart rate's going to spike. And it's because, yeah, it's just, it's tough. Like, the, you know, you got to get up and over technical terrain and, you know, roots and little steep pitches and things like that. And and sometimes all it takes is 30 seconds of, you know, zone five to, to get your heart rate out of zone. Um, now I will say like the more conditioned you are, the better you can accommodate that. Um, but, you know, until then it, it is important to try and keep that, those endurance rides at, you know, kind of zone two pace. So, you know, I mean, one thing you can do is, um, add some more gears to your bike. You know, maybe if you're running a 40 tooth chain ring, maybe you run a 38 tooth chain ring to give yourself a little bit more, um, pedaling, you know, uh, higher, higher cadence and, you know, be able to spin it out a little bit, um, you know, or a bigger cassette in the back. Um, but that's, I mean, you've got to find a way to keep your heart rate at the very least in that zone two. You know, if it spikes over, you know, let's say your zone two, top of zone two is 150. If you hit 152 by the time you're cresting the climb, like, you know, don't, don't get too concerned about that. But if you're hitting like 160 and, and like it's staying there for, you know, minutes on end and you're finding yourself constantly just like, you know, throughout the whole ride spiking over zone two, then that's a problem. And you can look back at your ride data too after your rides and see how much time did you spend in that zone three and above heart rate. Um, you know, and if you're spending more than I would say, you know, probably more than 10%, then you're probably, you're, you're doing too much, you know, that then you need to do something different to, to better accommodate that, that zone two. <clears throat> and the longer his endurance rides are, the harder it's going to be to hold that heart rate ceiling because the work that you're yep. doing in hour three at that same power is different than the work uh, that you're doing in hour one. Um, so yeah, if this is a situation where he's riding the mountain bike on trail, you know, find some gravel roads, put on some tires that you're not afraid to um, burn out and, and get on the road. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's, that, that is another option. You know, if you can't, 
extend the gearing range on your gravel bike, but you're doing gravel rides, then maybe yeah, head out on your mountain bike because your mountain bike's probably got a uh, you know smaller gear in the back than than, than you do on your gravel bike. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean it's it is important though to 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 make those endurance rides endurance focused in nature. Um, so kind of whatever whatever you can do to alter those rides to make sure that that happens. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this next one, this one comes from Jason. He says, Hey, all, I love the podcast. I have a question around race day nutrition, especially for those long six hour plus days. I recently just completed the Croton buck 50 for the first time and I loved it. However, towards the end of the race, I could tell my blood sugar was low and I was heading for a major bonk. It took me close to an hour post race to feel like I could even eat anything as my stomach was not having it when I finished. How do you all fuel for these long days? Are you mainly using liquids and gels? I tend to have trouble fueling during gravel races as it's difficult to get get to and eat real food during the rougher conditions. Croton was the true definition of this with all the potholes and muddy sand sections. I look f- I'm looking forward I'm looking for ways to improve my fueling for later this season. Thanks all Jason from West Virginia. Nice. Congrats on the buck 50. That's a big one. That um, is a big one. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to know kind of where he was starting because I would say he probably didn't consume too much. Um, I've been there before where I did a really long event and was super underfueled, and then you finish and you're not you're not hungry. Not a great place to be. Um, yeah, first and foremost, don't try anything new race day. Um, you really you hear it said all the time. You really have to train your gut, um, and the more you can train your gut to absorb the better. Um, but it does take some time. Everybody's different, but you definitely want to try these things out in training. Um, for an event like that, yeah, it depends on how many opportunities you're going to have to eat. Um, so if there's, you know, not a ton to pull out some solid food, then yeah, most of it's going to be liquid. And I would say probably for an event like that hydration pack and put your, your, carby drink in the in the hydration pack just because it's going to be the easiest way to to make sure that you're getting those carbs in what do you usually uh use as a, like a rule of thumb as far as like uh supplementing your carb you know or fueling intake with hydration i missed that last part fuel what was that yeah so like like supplementing the fueling aspect with the hydration so like do you have like a general rule of thumb like you should have 20 ounces per this number of carbs taken in well, Martin makes that super easy. Um, mm-hmm. They unfortunately they don't sell their drink mix in bulk, um, but I think they sell they sell it all prepackaged um, because they tell you exactly how much water should be taken with each packet. Um, so that makes it really simple. And then the so hydrogels, you don't have to think about it. yeah, the hydrogels um, you don't have to like wash down with water. Yeah, um, part of the hydrogel technology. So. Yeah. Um, I only use those for racing though, because I know like I've trained with them. I know they work, so I know that they'll work in racing, but, um, for training, I use a bunch of different stuff. So scratch. Why do you not um, use the same for training and racing? Just because it's expensive. <laughs> just yeah. It's pricey. Okay. Um, so then yeah. why not use your tried and true training fueling for race day? Um, because it's kind of all over the place. <laughs> Okay. Um, I use, 
yeah, just a bunch of different things. Scratch, like fig bars, cliff bars, kids cliff bars. Like, you know, sometimes I'll use hammer gel. Sometimes I'll use diluted maple syrup. Um, So in in training, you're kind of taking advantage of the fact that you can pick and choose when is the right time to eat and and drink, right? So like, you know. Yeah. You don't have to be on the gas the whole time. You, You know, if you're in a technical section, you can just stop and eat something if you want to. Yeah, I'm lucky, and then I'll probably eat. I'll probably eat these words later, but I don't really. I've never really experienced GI issues, so that opens the door to you know, a lot. That well, we'll I see what happens when with. you start pushing yeah, yeah, pushing yeah. some fueling <laughs> limits later this season. Yeah, um, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I think I, I mean there, there's a lot that goes into it, and everyone like you, you've probably heard this, but everyone is different. Everyone's there, there's a reason there's a million different nutrition companies out there. If it was just one thing worked for everyone, pretty pretty quickly you'd see like some nutrition company rising to the top. Um, and that's not the case. Like most nutrition companies come out with new products all the time. And like, you know, especially if you go on something like The Feed, which like, I mean, there's like literally a oh, thousand different brands endless. you can choose from yeah. on there. It's it's incredible. Um, I I tend to try to replicate my training race training my racing nutrition in training uh when i can so like doesn't mean every single ride like there are some rides where i'll bring a bar with me or um you know some gels that i don't normally use in racing or something like that but um i would say like at least twice a week i try to replicate what my my racing nutrition is and that that means like the same drink mix formula uh the same gels that i would plan on using on race day um if it's if I'm doing an afternoon workout, I'm not going to go for like the caffeinated gels. So like I I don't I don't get that specific to where like I'm actually overriding like what I know is best for me. Um, but but I try to keep it to where like it's pretty familiar for me. So that way on race day I'm not thinking like ah, it's been a while since I've had one of these gels or it's been a while since I've used that 90 grams of you know flow mix. You know I'm used to 60 or whatever. Um, you know that way I kind of like know it's it's you know pretty you know, pretty common and familiar for me. So one thing that I yeah. do is like, I like to mix, I, you know, I, I like to have a little bit of a variety. So, <clears throat> but, but keep it pretty simple too. So I pretty much always use the same flavor gel for, especially when racing. So that way there's like no question of like, I, what, what flavor I want. Like it's, I don't get the choice. I just, whatever flavor it is in my pocket, that's the one I use. And I, What's I know your what flavor I'm of choice. <laughs> vanilla. If I can have just straight oh, vanilla. Gross. Yeah, that's the everything. worst. What happens when it gets warm? Nasty. It's it's like it's like the difference between eating like a warm cupcake and a cupcake out of the fridge. I mean, it's just like mm. yeah, no, it's the best. <laughs> okay. um, super plain. Uh, goo does make th- this flavor that's called tastefully nude, and it's just like flavorless. Um, that that's one's pretty how decent too. Is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can I can get by on that too, um, but that one only comes in caffeinated. So. Uh, and same with goo, their their vanilla ones only caffeinated too. So sometimes if I want caffeine free, then I do their birthday cake one, or I use Cliff vanilla because that's uncaffeinated. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, it's always some some variety of vanilla, just super plain. <laughs> um, and then so I usually do like a pretty good rule of thumb for me is like twenty two ounces, like one at least one bottle, like full of. Um, hydration and that's going to have like 60 grams of carbs from flow and then i'll supplement that with like one gel um if i can stomach two gels i will like there's times where like over like a six hour race like if i know i'm needing a little bit extra then i'll maybe take a second gel 
and bump that up a little bit. Um, but pretty routinely, I'm trying to hit that like 80 to 90 grams of carbs with a drink mix with a kind of a cherry on top from the, the gel. Yeah. And you brought up a good point. So I will say that I the racing that I'm training for is higher intensity. So on the higher intensity workouts during the week, I do, even though it's not exactly the same, I'm not using Martin. I am using the same form of fuel. So primarily coming yeah. from liquids and a couple gels. Um, so I do try to make it similar in that way. I'm not going out for high intensity intervals and trying to eat a cliff bar. So yeah. And, and yeah. I just think it's important because, you know, one, like I said, it's, it's familiar to you. So like, you know what you know what to expect. Um, but two, like your body responds to, uh, to nutrition differently at different intensities. So if you're only mm-hmm. ever, you know, riding at zone two and taking in your race day nutrition, then what about those days? You know, what about that race day where you're like pinned for the first two hours? You know, like, how's your body going to respond? So you gotta, you gotta mm-hmm. like pressure test that in training. Um, and that's why like, like even when you say like nothing new on race day, like that should also mean like this same scenario where like, you know, your heart rate's at threshold for 90 minutes. Can you still take in that, you know, mm-hmm. 60 grams of flow and, and a gel, you know? So like I, I do try to pressure test that pretty regularly and that allows me to like then be confident when I do bump it up to the next, like, you know, okay, now we're in July and I can handle a hundred grams because I've, I've been doing 90 grams for three months. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so it gives me a little bit kind of jump start on the progression of the nutrition intake too. Mm-hmm. And within it, this gets a little bit into training too, but with an event that's eight hours plus long, you know, maybe you haven't done a training ride that's eight hours long. I would hope that you have, but you know, maybe your longest ride was five hours before that. So yeah. that's a tricky thing to, to navigate. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. And along those lines too, you know, you mentioned like the use of like hydration pack. Um, that's something you want to test in training too, because you don't want to get five hours into that race wearing an extra, whatever it is, five, seven pounds on your back that you're not used to. And now all of a sudden you're having like, you know, posterior chain discomfort because you're carrying that extra weight around might even be more than seven pounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have tools and stuff in there too. Um, so like, that's something to keep in mind too, is, you know, even if you're just using, like sometimes if I know that I'm going to be using a pack in a race, like sometimes I've, I've ridden the trainer with a pack on, like just to do it, just to like get used to it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. because it is different. Like your body moves differently. Um, you know, the straps, you got to get used to like how the fit is on, you know, like your chest and how it constricts your like upper body movement a little bit. You know, you want to be familiar with like where you're going to reach in the pack to grab that gel, like whatever pocket it's in, because that might be different than just reaching into your jersey pocket. Um, and another thing too, like if you're if you're training for a big race, like one thing that's also helpful is to like look ahead at what the offerings are at the aid stations. So let's say you're doing Unbound, and you know Unbound is sponsored by Goo. Well, they're probably going to have endless supply of like Goo Roctane and goo gels and drink mix and stuff, you know, goo products at their aid stations. So you might want to like test out some of their products ahead of time too, if you're going to be relying on the aid station for uh, fueling as part of your strategy. Um, Because the longer the race gets, the harder it is to carry everything you need. You know, I'd say for Mm -hmm. me, like my limit is usually like, you know, I can, I can pretty comfortably carry like five to six hours of nutrition. But if it gets beyond that, like, it's just hard to like, where do you put all the stuff? I mean, you can only carry yeah. so much fluid. You can only carry so much stuff in your pockets. Um, yeah. you know, so at some know point you might rely on the 
Yeah, I don't know how common it is for gravel races to have the drop bag situation, but for most longer mountain bike races, they have the opportunity where you can send a bag to, you know, one of the later aid stations so that, you know, the stuff that you use is there, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've never, I've never used, I've never used the drop bag option in a mountain bike or gravel race, I guess. Um, Mm. So I've never really looked to see what what options are available at gravel races. I would imagine they've got drop bag options. I don't know though. Cause I've, I've, I don't know. Yeah. For sure. The longer mountain bike stuff though, they, they drop bags are mm-hmm. always an option. Yeah. Um, cool. anything else to add with that one? Mm. Oh yeah. One last thing I would say. So, you know, caffeine is a powerful tool. It can be, you know, it, it can be used and supplemented at critical times in races to give you the, you know, call it the energy boost, even though it's not actually giving you energy. It's just kind of unlocking your ability to, um, your body's perception that it has more energy basically. But, um, you want to experiment with that too, because adding caffeine into the mix can do some weird things with, with your body. Um, especially if it's coming later in the race, um, maybe that's later in the day or, you know, six hours into the ride. Um, but it can also compound any GI stuff that's going on too. So, one, you want, to, mm-hmm. you want to experiment with, like, if you are going to use caffeine, what products you're using for that caffeine intake, whether that's, like, a gel or chews or drink mix or even, like, just using caffeine pills. Um, and then you also want to experiment with, like, the timing of that. You know, how does your body respond to that caffeine? How does your, you know, body digest the product that you're using to, to intake the caffeine? Um, what time do you think, you know, the caffeine works best? Um, should you take caffeine before, even if you're going to supplement with caffeine two hours into the race? Like you got to kind of factor that into the equation too. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't okay. have, I don't typically use the caffeine, so that's. <laughs> oh, you don't use caffeine uh, at all. Mm-mm. I mean, okay. I drink coffee in the morning, but yeah. Yeah. So. Cool. Good for you. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so, so this next one comes from uh, Tuesday, uh, and Tuesday is actually a friend of mine from here in Sioux Falls. Shout out Tuesday. Uh, so it's a little bit of a long one here, but I'm going to read through the whole thing so that you've got full context for where she's getting at. So she says, Hey coaches, the podcast is awesome. And I thank you for taking the time to answer all these questions. This is a long question. Feel free to cut it down in any way needed. Don't worry. We're going to read it all. Um, I'm interested in how you would suggest approaching big goals that were set at the beginning of training. If the current training has been derailed multiple times, we had a long and brutal winter winter here, which brought some low motivation to my off season and I took a much longer break than normal. That's all on me as I should have had a set date when I wanted to get back on the bike. Within the first few weeks of my base phase, I was hit with illness and was off the bike for a few planned training rides. Then I was just getting back into the swing of things and I dislocated a foot bone, ouch, uh, which led to almost another week of not riding. It was a quick recovery again, but we were then hit with news that our dog was sick and ended up needing very intense surgery with at least a month of recovery time and constant supervision and late nights. I was still riding and stayed very close, fairly close to my training plan, but with low energy, low sleep and low motivation since my concerns were elsewhere. Lastly, as we started turning the corner with our pup's recovery, we learned that she had only a short time left with us and we started going backwards again until she passed away. All that being said, my time, energy and emotions have really taken a hit this year. And I'm starting to think that I need to knock myself down a few pegs with my planned A race, a 70-mile gravel race in June, where I was hoping to redeem myself from last year. I am still completing designated workouts on a low-volume gravel-focused plan at the level they were recommended with no issue, 
but I do so, but I, I do gentle but productive strength workouts and recover intentionally. But I feel as though I missed a ton of opportunity early on in my training this year that may affect my entire season. I love training. I love having in completing goals. And I like to think that I take the process seriously. So the fact that I don't feel connected to the process this year leaves me questioning my next approach. Thank you all so much. Oof. That's like one of those situations when you just feel like when it rains, it pours. That is just one mm-hmm. thing after another. And so many people have gone through this. So you're not alone. And I know that like it seems like <laughs> such a long time that you missed out on training. But in the grand scheme of your season, it was really just a blip on the radar, even though you feel like I, I know because I've been there. Um, you feel like that was the most important part of your whole training. And like now that that's gone, like, where do you start? And it's kind of overwhelming. So I get that. I was um, there this time last year where um, it was a little different in that I was training for higher intensity races and I missed that base season because I had actually broken my leg skiing. Um, and then tried to get back into those higher intensity races and just didn't have the strength, um, because I missed that base training strength period. Um, but for you, I would say a positive thing is you're training for somewhat longer duration events, um, where I had to change my season and I started, I thought it would be better to focus on longer events, um, because I was taking a step back similar situation to you where let me just now jump into that base season and, you know, kind of build that aerobic engine again. So I focused on longer events and, um, did a stage race and then, yeah, just entered in longer races and looked at this season as a building block to next season. Um, so yeah, you want to jump in, Adam? I'm going to get my thoughts. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think like an important thing to, um, when you know, like when you're when you're coming off of a period like this where everything just seems to be moving against you, and then you finally get that okay, things are settled down. Now I don't know where to begin. I would say it's important to begin with routine. So finding a routine that is now sustainable, it's fulfilling your needs and wants. Um, and it's something that you can just rely on that every day, every week, you know, this is, you know, spend two, three, four weeks, just getting into that routine. Don't even worry about what the training content is. Mostly just worry about getting, getting in the routine, you know, eating your breakfast, getting on the bike. This is just getting back into part of your daily life. And that routine will then bring with it a lot of It'll, it'll relieve a lot of stress around the training process in general, because now you can just rely and on that consistency that you just, have you been without for, for months. And that's, that's oftentimes that lack of consistency is what's really difficult for people to, to overcome. Um, it's not so much that you lost on fitness. It's the fact that like your whole routine was thrown a whack. Um, so that's the, that's the first step is I would say get in a routine, figure out which days of the week work best to do your workouts, what time of the day works best for those workouts. And don't focus too much on what the training content is. Even if that means like some days throwing the heart rate strap aside or like turning off your power or something like just get the workouts in the way that you think they're supposed to be done. Um, But don't get too focused on like where your fitness level is at because, you know, it is coming up on April now. Um, 
And, and sometimes I need to remind myself of this too, and especially as of late, like my fitness isn't where I wanted it to be, but that doesn't matter. Like I can't do anything about that. All I can do is try and get my fitness to where I want it to be next. So like looking at the power metrics, like is disheartening sometimes because you're like, Mm -hmm. I I just, I know I'm not hitting the numbers that I should be. So just don't worry about the numbers because looking at the numbers isn't going to change what numbers you're actually producing. Right. So, um, sometimes you just need that. You need a little break from, from what the data is telling you and just kind of go off of what you know is, is best for what your body needs. Um, so yeah, so one routine, um, two, don't get focused too much on the training content and three, like, as far as like what direction you should be heading, I, I completely agree with Kate. Don't skip on your chance to get some base training in. Um, your season will pay for it dearly later on. If you skip this base training phase now in lieu of trying to like crash course, get ready for that gravel race. Um, even if it's just three to four weeks, if you just get one training cycle in where you're just focused on that base work, you know, zone two, maybe some tempo, maybe like some easy threshold. Um, if you just kind of focus on at least one month of just getting that base work in, and then you can kind of build from there. And the good thing is like for a 70 mile gravel race, like you really don't need much top end fitness at all. Um, the only, the, the main reason you would do top end fitness would be to try and pull up your lactate threshold. But, um, if you don't get to the point where you're able to, to get to that aspect in your training, that's okay. Like just getting some, like the more base fitness you can get in between now and the race day is going to be beneficial. And then that's going to help propel your later season races too. And Tuesday kind of touched on this too. Like you do have to be realistic with your goals and expectations, Um, because the last thing you want too is to like get to that race day in June and know, like looking back like three months ago, which is today, like I should have, I should have, you know, reestablished my priorities because if you keep that as your a race and you have these high expectations for yourself, but you don't give yourself the, uh, the true opportunity to exceed those, then you might look back in frustration or disappointment and that could derail the rest of your season too. You know, so like maybe instead of this being a, a priority race, like drop it down to a B priority. It doesn't mean that you can't still go there and race as hard as you can. Um, I think that's mm-hmm. a common misconception with race prioritization is that people think that because it's not an A race, they can't put as much stake into it or they can't, you know, put as much effort into it or they can't have like, you know, go into the race, like expecting anything of themselves. Like you can still do all that. It's more so just like, where do you expect your actual fitness level to be? That's the reason for the a prioritization is like you build your season around when you plan on peaking. So like to try and peak in three months could be challenging and it might mm-hmm. be detrimental to some of those later season races. So you might want to consider like dropping that down to a B or, or C priority race. Um, and then, you know, looking ahead to like, okay, well, realistically, what is something four to six months down the road from now that I truly have an opportunity to like build and peak for, um, and then pick a race yeah. that's, you know, a little more suited to that. Yeah. I don't know. How does she say when, uh, this race is her a race? How soon? Yeah. So it's in, it's in June. Um, and I, and I know the date, I should know the date because I'm okay. going to be there. Um, I think it's like June 10th. So, you know, we're looking at April, May. Yeah. We're looking at, uh, realistically about 10 weeks. Yeah. Um, if this is super important, I know you mentioned the word like redemption. So if this is super important to you, and it's going to be too hard to kind of just ride it for fun. Like maybe that becomes your A race next year. Maybe you just don't even go because it's going to be better for you mentally not to have another mm. um, 
not saying that you're going to have a poor result, but if you aren't where you think you should be or where you wanted to be at that point, maybe you just don't even go and you find some other, like you said, some other cool events later on in the season to focus on. Um, if gosh, so many thoughts. So, uh, one thing I want to say is it's really easy to look back at your training. Training peaks makes it really easy to (laughs) consistently look back at peaks that you had before, um, you took this time off. And as you get into training, um, you know, fatigue management is super important because you're going to see all this progress quickly and then you're going to have all this fatigue and you're not going to be hitting numbers like you want. And you're going to be like, oh, well, you know, eight months ago I was here and like I was hitting this power at this heart rate and like, why can't I do that right now? Like I should be able to do that right now. And saying those things is like one of the worst things you can do. Like I should, I should be here you can't do any of that. Um, so just staying present in the training and focusing on where you are now and where you want to go, but not looking back because as soon as, if you just wear yourself out thinking I should be here, um, yeah, you're just going to wear yourself down. So as soon as you have that first good workout and you like start to get confidence back in your training, all of that's going to go away. And it's going to have seemed so silly that you were even, you know, going down that rabbit hole to begin with. Um, so yeah, don't get stuck in past numbers and past good workouts. You'll get there again. Don't worry about it. Um, and yeah, the fatigue management is, is super important. Understanding that, you know, you're going to be tired and not performing where you want to be, but that's because, you know, you just, it's functional overload. Um, it's just what you have to do. So you have to get through that. Um, and then your body will make those adaptations recover appropriately, you know, where you, the volume that you did at one point is not the volume that you should be doing now. Um, so dialing it back and giving yourself adequate rest to recover, um, so that you can make those adaptations is super important. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, Tuesday, we're rooting for you. Hopefully, uh, yeah. you'll you'll get that redemption at some point that you're looking for. Um, well, that's all we had for today. Those are the three questions oh, cool. we're going to cover. So Nice. Wi-Fi worked out. Thank you. Uh, yeah. GPS. <laughs> we're using CenturyLink. <laughs> Starlink. Thank Starlink. you, Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Cool. Well, uh, thanks, Kate. We'll, uh, we'll talk yeah, to you next week. Yeah, it was good. Sounds good. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go! I've never driven a rally car before, but I'd imagine there are a lot of similarities between racing rally cars and racing bikes. Both involve speed, skill, and suspense. But one big difference is the navigator. The navigator's job is to communicate with the driver what turns are coming up, the severity of those turns, and any obstacles to look out for on course. With the help of the navigator, the driver goes faster. As athletes, we too need a navigator.
This is where the coach comes into the picture. Like the navigator, the coach helps guide the athlete along the right path. When it's all said and done, the coach helps the athlete go faster. To take the analogy one step further, I'd bet the best navigators are those who used to drive themselves. Because of their own experience behind the wheel, they're better equipped to help the driver. This is what Ignition Coach Co. is all about. All of our coaches are elite-level racers, and that makes them better coaches. They know how to train, how to prep, how to win, how to lose, and how to stay focused through it all because they are in the midst of that pursuit right now. Here at Ignition Coach Co., we believe that coaching and racing go hand in hand, and it's our goal to fuse those two things together. We'd love to connect you with one of our coaches. Sign up for a free consultation today. Ignition Coach Co., developing coaches, connecting athletes.